Well, good morning, everybody. <laughs> Let's do it one more time. We got about half of us tuned in and half of us tuned out. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right, excellent. Hey, uh, thanks for being with us again today, whether you join us in person or online. Uh, I am Mike. I'm one of the pastors on staff here and glad to be with you. Uh, I was uh, at City Covenant Church last week while Samuel was here and enjoyed that, uh, but I'm glad to be back home. And uh, we are in week three of a series that we have entitled Enemies of the Heart. But before we jump into that, we're going to take a couple minutes and pray about some things just going on in our nation and in our church family. Uh, so if you would, let's, let's pray together. Father, just as we get started today, um, there's just a lot of unrest and a lot of angst and a lot of pain, um, just especially in light of some of the indictments uh, in regards to Brianna Taylor. Uh, Father, we pray for communities that are hurting and that are struggling right now. Father, we pray for the uh, police officers who were shot this week in relationship to that and their families. And Father, we just pray that, that as your church, we would show the world what it looks like to be of one mind, to be sympathetic with each other, to love one another like brothers and sisters, to be tender-hearted, to be humble, regardless of where we are on issues that are so complicated and so polarizing. Father, just for our church family, we want to pray for the Haglin family. Just as little Noah is fighting for his life. Father, we pray for your hand of mercy and healing on his lungs, for his parents and grandparents. Um, just as emotionally, this has just been a roller coaster ride for them. Father, please meet them in this. But Father, I want to pray for Carol Barrett as she was rushed to the hospital yesterday that uh, just they'd be able to figure out what is going on with her heart and get that stabilized. Father, meet us, please, as we try and explore your truth together. In Jesus' name, amen. So from time to time, uh, researchers will survey individuals and ask them questions that are designed to try and figure out what they would do if they thought they couldn't get caught. And the idea is, you know, what would you do if you knew there would be no consequences to your behavior? Now, some of the, the, the results of those surveys are humorous. Some of them are kind of uh, fascinating. Sometimes they're just downright disturbing. For example, uh, in one survey, 60% of students surveyed said that if they knew they weren't going to get caught, they'd cheat on that assignment or that test and wouldn't think twice about it. Anybody ever do that? No. <laughs> Anybody ever lie in church, right? Uh, yeah. Another survey, another survey. 50% of consumers said if the cashier gave them too much money and they didn't think they were going to get caught, they'd just take the money and run, right? 
Another survey, 33% of consumers said if they found an electronic device, a phone, a tablet, on public transit, they'd just put it in their bag and go about their business. This next one is especially disturbing for me. In one survey, better than 60% of the people surveyed said they would talk bad about their pastor to another congregant if they thought they could get away with it. It almost always gets back to pastor. Just saying. <laughs> All right. or, or in another survey, one out of three men surveyed said they would commit a sexual assault if they thought they would not get caught. Some of this is just disturbing, right? And here's why. What surveys like these do is they, they peel back the filter and they let you see what's really in somebody's heart. See, in this survey, in this series, we're talking about enemies of the heart. Things that get stuck in our hearts, just ugly, broken things. And, and really, we, we talked about in week one how early on in life, we learned to filter what's in our hearts. We figured out there's certain things we are better off not saying, better off not doing, because if we get caught, we don't like the outcomes that that produces in our lives. And, and in the end, it's not a bad thing to filter. There's even some wisdom in learning to filter what you say and do. But if we never get beyond filtering, that doesn't serve us well. Because along the way, as we live life, things get stuck in our hearts. Not our physical hearts, our immaterial hearts. Ugly, broken things get stuck there along the way. And if we don't learn to do more than just filter that stuff, it grows. And eventually it gets by our filters and it spills over into our lives and into our relationships. Now, most often this happens in the midst of stressful situations. You know, we'll be in a conversation with somebody, things get heated, they get emotional. We say that thing we know we never should have said. And then we're like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Where did that come from? Or we'll be in a drama-filled situation and, and we just do that thing and the minute we do it, we regret it. And we, we, we say things like, why did I do that? That's just not like me. In a week one of this series, we saw Jesus answer both of those questions the same way. He said, it's because you have a heart issue. That thing, that thing came out of your mouth because it was in your heart. That's where it came from. The thing you did, you, you did that because it was in your heart. In week one, we saw Jesus tell us that the things that come out of us come out of us because they were there inside of us to begin with. And in week one, we saw both Jesus and Solomon tell us we need to do more than just have a sophisticated filter. We need to do more than trying to hide the things that are in our hearts. We need to learn how to guard our hearts, how to clean these things out. And so what we're doing in this series is each week we're looking at a different enemy. And then in each week we're going, okay, what is the habit, the biblical habit that may not come easy, that may not come quick, that we may tend to resist, but that actually has the power to clean these things out of our hearts. Now, this weekend, as we continue, we're going to look at the enemy of guilt. 
And as we do so, we're going to look at the life of a man named Zacchaeus. Because he just helps us wrap our minds around this enemy and how it works in our lives and how to clean it out. Now, Zacchaeus' story is recorded for us in Luke chapter 19. If you've got a Bible, you want to follow along, we're going to pick up at verse 1. It'll be on the screens uh, as well if you didn't bring one with you or if you don't have one on your device. But Luke starts this way. He says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming his way. Now, as Luke gets started here, there's just all kinds of things he's communicating. One of them is that Zacchaeus had every reason to be a man who felt guilty. Now, before we, we talk about some of the why for that, let, let's just get on the same page as to what we mean by guilt. Guilt is simply this. Guilt is the emotional state associated with knowing I've done something wrong. I say that thing I never should have said. I do that thing I know I never should have done. And on the inside, there's this emotional response, this sick feeling that I have in my heart. That's guilt. In fact, Guilt says from me to you, I owe you. I owe you. And here's what I mean by that. I would argue that just about any wrong that one person commits against another, you could restate that as a theft, as a taking from someone something you didn't have the right to take. For example, let's say I lie to you. We'd all agree I shouldn't do that, right? This, if, if you you got to respond. It makes me think you're paying attention. We'd all agree, as a pastor, I shouldn't lie, right? Okay, so if I lie to you, what I'm doing is I'm robbing you of the right to make a decision with all the information. I'm robbing you of your right to the truth. Well, let's say I run out on my wife and my kids. I'm robbing my wife of the fidelity that I promised her on our wedding day. I'm robbing my kids of the security that comes with having an intact home. Or let's say I talk bad about you behind your back. 64% of pastors say they would do that if they knew they couldn't get caught, right? (laughs) Let's say I talk bad about you behind your back. I rob you of your reputation with others, and I rob you of the right to defend yourself. See, every wrong, every hurt, Every, every offense that one person would commit against another, it, it's somebody taking something they didn't have the right to take. Guilt is that sense that I took from you something I didn't have the right to take from you. That, that's why we say things like, I owe you an apology. What can I do to make this up to you? How can I set this right again? It's because I understand by what I said, what I did, I owe you here. Now, Zach had every reason to feel like that. Luke tells us that he was a wealthy tax collector. And and here's what you have going on with this. First century Israel, the, the Romans occupy Israel. They need a way to keep the Jewish people pinned under their thumbs. And the way they do that is through the military. But you've got to fund this thing somehow. 
So how do you fund this military you're using to oppress a people? Well, you just tax the bejesus out of them. Now, this creates a number of problems for the Jewish people. First of all, they're not made of money. And if they're paying money they don't have in taxes, it drives them further towards poverty and further away from prosperity. Secondly, the, 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 the Jewish people, in paying taxes, they're, they are self-funding their oppression. Who wants to do that, right? And then finally, they believe the land is theirs by divine right. As long as the Romans are there, they can't live into what they believe is their God-given call. So, so they've got economic reasons and political reasons and religious reasons not to pay taxes. It was to the point where in first century Israel, they would debate with one another about whether or not it was actually a sin to pay taxes. So along comes Zacchaeus, a Jew who not only pays taxes, but he takes them from his countrymen and gives them to the Romans. In order to do that, he has to be willing to turn his back on his own people, his own country, and his own God. I mean, you think the IRS is unpopular today? Tax collectors were absolutely hated. You didn't do business with them if you could help it. You did not socialize. You didn't talk to them if you could help it. And you, you, you didn't do church with them. In fact, they were thrown out of church. They were considered to be beyond redemption. Tax collector walks through the doors of your church. You let, you let them know. You might as well leave. We don't have anything for you here. Which would kind of leave you to wonder, like, why would Zacchaeus take a job like that? Really not too hard to figure out. You just follow the money. See, Romans didn't care. They didn't care what kind of burden the tax collectors put on the populace as long as Rome gets its cut. And so the tax collectors would overtax people and get rich in the process. So when Luke says that Zacchaeus is a wealthy tax collector, what that means is Zacchaeus is willing to reach into already struggling people's pockets and take money that they don't have to spare and give it to their oppressors to use to oppress them and then reach back into their pockets and take more money to fund his life of luxury. He's a traitor. He's a thief. He's a reprobate. And he knows it, and so does everybody else. He, he is carrying a weight of guilt in his heart. And it doesn't just stay there nice, neat, and clean. It spills out of his heart and into his life and into his relationships. This, this is what guilt does. It impacts us in our lives in a number of different ways. Like, sometimes guilty people, they're just angry. They're just angry people. And you know who they're angry at? Themselves. That's right. Because they let themselves down. As a guilty person, I swore I would never. And then I did. I promised I would always, and then I didn't. I committed to my spouse, to my kids, to my boss, to my classmates, to my coworkers, and then I failed to come through. 
Guilty people are oftentimes mad at themselves because they haven't been who they know they could have been or who they promised they would be. And that anger, it, it, it spills out of their hearts and into their lives and on into their relationships with other people. And if you've ever been in a relationship with somebody who's consistently angry, it's a miserable thing. Guilty people, they're oftentimes angry people. Or, or oftentimes, they're anxious people. Just incredibly anxious. Like, I remember sitting with Tom, having breakfast, and he's telling me about his pornography addiction. An addiction he has kept a secret from his wife their entire marriage. And between the fact that he knows he has not been who he promised to be, and the fact that he knows his marriage lacks intimacy that is not possible to have when that is present in the relationship, and the fact that he is scared to death his wife is going to catch him in the lies and the deceit that he has been engaged in for year after year after year, the man was so overwhelmed with anxiety, he could no longer function in life anymore without medication. Guilty people are oftentimes anxious people. Or guilty people, they're oftentimes critical people. With somebody who's guilty, sometimes there is nothing you can do to please that person. And again, here's why. If I let me down, I'm going to make sure you do too. If I disappointed me, I'm going to make sure you disappoint me as well. Because if you succeed, and I have to admit that, it just shines the light on my failure all the more brightly. So I'm going to find a way to criticize you. I'm going to find a way to tear you down. I'm going to find a way to point your shortcomings out so I don't have to feel as bad about mine. And all the while, that criticism that spills into my life and into my relationships, it leaves the people who are around me wondering why in the world what they do is never good enough for me. See, this is the kind of weight that, this, that Zacchaeus is just bearing in his life. But he's heard Jesus is coming. And he has heard that, that Jesus will actually interact with people like him. Good religious people won't give him the time of day, but Jesus is said to like talk with and eat with and like, like pay attention to people like him. And he's heard that, that, that Jesus will offer forgiveness and a changed life. And so Zacchaeus, he is just hoping that maybe somehow Jesus can set him free from guilt. And so he lines up in the streets with everybody else. There's no social distancing going on. They're just packed shoulder to shoulder, just hoping he can get a look at this Jesus. He's got a problem, though. He's a little fellow. He's short. Can't see over the crowd. That's tough, isn't it, short people? I wouldn't know. <laughs> just a little fun for my short friends out there, right? But Zacchaeus... He's short, he's at the back of the line, he does not have the kind of relationship with people where they're going to graciously allow him to move to the front of the line. And so he runs down the street, climbs up a tree, trying to get a look at Jesus, hoping Jesus is going to do something for him. And Jesus doesn't disappoint. 
Luke tells us that when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your home. <laughs> now, who, who enjoys having somebody just unsolicitedly invite themselves into your home? <laughs> invite themselves over for dinner? Anybody like that? If you like that, you should see me after church. If you're not, like if you're a good cook, we can have a conversation about this, right? Zacchaeus is thrilled that Jesus has just invited him over for dinner. Now, everybody else, they're all wound up. You know, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Doesn't Jesus know we don't talk to these people, let alone eat with these people? Jesus doesn't care. He goes. Now, Luke doesn't record for us the conversation that took place at dinner. I wish he did. It would have been fascinating. Whatever it was, though, we begin to see Zacchaeus set free from guilt. You see, we begin to see Zacchaeus live into the habit that cleanses guilt from a heart. Because again, This isn't about a more sophisticated filter. This isn't about getting better at hiding what's in our hearts. It's about learning to clean this stuff out. And the habit that's meant to help cleanse guilt out of our hearts is confession. It's confession. See, when I sin and I try and hide that thing, when I ke- the longer I keep it in the dark, the more it gains control over my life. But when I pull that thing into the light, and that's what confession is, it loses its power over me. Now, when it comes to confession, biblical confession, it's super important to understand there are two halves to this equation. There, there, are, there are two parts of this habit you got to live into. And if you only live into one and not the other, you will never be free from guilt. Now, th- the first part is one that most people are aware of and most people don't have a problem with. The, the first half of confession is this. We confess to God. We confess to God. The Apostle John said it this way. He said, if we confess our sins... He, he being God, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, John is saying, hey, when you do that thing, you know you had no business doing. When when you violate God's directive for your life, when you rob God of the obedience that he is due, when you rob God of, of the loyalty that he deserves, when you rob God of the right to be sovereign in your life, Go have a conversation with him. Confess it. Agree with God. He's right. You're wrong. If you'll do that, he'll forgive you. He'll begin that process of cleaning guilt out of your heart. Whether whether you're coming to confess a lifetime of sin or whether you're coming in the moment whether you have no relationship with him to begin with or you're coming to repair the relationship that you've had. Confess, he'll forgive. He'll begin to clean. But again, this is the first half. There there are two parts to this equation. 
which is, why, which is why for so many people, this story goes like this. I did that thing I know I had no business doing, said that thing I know I had no business saying. I feel guilt come crashing into my heart. And so I go to God and I confess that thing. And there's, there's this initial sense of relief, but the guilt isn't completely gone. It's still there. It just nags away at the back of my mind, and I can't figure out why. And here's why. It's because we only lived in the first half of the habit. God, God is saying to us, hey, this has been a great conversation. This has been a great start. But I'm not the only one you took something from you didn't have a right to take. I'm not the only one who you've wronged. I'm not the only one you need to have a conversation with. You, you need to have a second conversation with the people or the person who you've wronged as well. This has been a great start, but we need to finish this habit up. And until you do, guilt is going to continue to gnaw away at your heart. We're good with the first half, but we struggle with the second. Because the second half of, of confession, the first half I confess to God, the second half is I go to the person or the people who are wronged with what I said or what I did, and I confess to them. And we're all about the first half, but all kinds of us, we struggle with the second half. So going back to Tom. Sitting in this restaurant, this man's telling me about his pornography addiction, and he is just desperate for me to give him some kind of silver bullet, some kind of magic thing that he can do to make all this guilt go away. And I can remember looking at him and saying, hey, have you told your wife? And he looked at me like I was out of my mind. And he said to me, do you have any idea what would happen if I did that? Do you have any idea how mad she would be? Do you have any idea how, how dysfunctional the relationship would instantly become? Do you have any idea how hurt my wife would feel? And then he went on to try and explain to me how he was really protecting his wife by withholding this information from her. How that was the gracious thing to do. Now, in all fairness... There was some truth to some of the things that he was saying. But there were a number of things that he was failing to see. Like, yeah, if, if he told his wife she was going to be angry and things would get really uncomfortable really quick at home. But what he failed to realize is their relationship was already dysfunctional. There, there, was, there was intimacy that should have been there that had not been there their entire marriage, and his wife just couldn't put her finger on why. She knew. She just didn't understand why. And yeah, if he, if he tells her, there's going to be pain. But again, what he fails to realize is it's not his confession that's going to hurt his wife. It's his sin that is hurting his wife. And he can, tell, he can tell me all day long how he's really protecting his wife by withholding this information. But what he fails to realize is that as long as he withholds this information from his wife, as long as he continues to deceive her about his behavior and the nature of their relationship, he is continuing to take things from her that he does not have a right to take. 
He is continuing to rob her of the truth. He is continuing to rob her of an apology that he owes her. He's continuing to rob her of the opportunity to extend forgiveness. He's continuing to rob her of genuine intimacy of their marriage. See, he can confess to God all he wants. And God will forgive him. But he is not going to be free from guilt until he confesses to his wife. Until he lives into both halves of this habit. And we can... We can confess to God all we want. And God will forgive us. Our our salvation is secure. The, The penalty for sin is dealt with on the cross. But the consequences of our sin remain. Guilt remains until we live into the second half of this habit. I start with confessing to God, but I continue as I confess to the people or to the person who I've wronged. Now, we watch Zacchaeus do this. Zacchaeus, he stood up. He said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. This is Zacchaeus publicly acknowledging what he has done is wrong and then publicly committing to follow up with individuals that he has wronged and make things right. Now, notice when he does this. Jesus does not say, oh, Zacchaeus, you don't need to do that. You confess to me. We're good. You can just ignore now how you robbed those people blind. Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. In other words, you all were all riled up that I would interact with somebody like this. His heart is every bit as clean as anybody else in this room, if not more. Today, redemption has come to this house. Today, redemption has come to this heart. See, Jesus always gets most excited when he sees a life changed. And this is part of the reason why confession, not just to God, but to the people we've wronged, is so important. See, if I do something wrong and I confess it to God, but I can keep it a secret from you, the likelihood of me continuing in that wrong, it just goes up. But if I do something wrong and I confess it to God and then I come and confess it to you and I'm committed to continue confessing it to you as long as I engage in that behavior again, I'll tell you right now, I am far less likely to do that again if I know I got to come and tell you. If for nothing else, that is going to help move my life towards change. Now again, it has nothing to do with our salvation. Our salvation is secured by the grace that was poured out of the, uh, from the cross into our lives. But the grace that was poured out of the cross into my life, this does not provide me with some kind of escape hatch to the responsibility that I have to other people. Instead, it should motivate me to embrace that. On the cross, Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. 
a debt that I was powerless to pay. That should, that should motivate me to own the debts that I do owe and to pay them as I can. Confession is meant to clean guilt out of our hearts to God and to people. It's why James says it this way. He says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. When I do that thing I know I had no business doing, I say the thing I know I had no business saying, and I just feel sick inside over it. James is saying, confess that. Confess that to each other. There is healing for your sick heart in confession. Not just to God. That's good. It's absolutely necessary. But it's the first half of the equation. If I'm ever going to truly be free from guilt, i got to live into both sides. So, to wrap this up, real quick, I want to share some, some thoughts with you about confession, and then, and then we're going to finish by doing that weird thing by me asking you some questions. So here we go. Thought number one. Thought number one, keep short accounts. When it comes to confession, keep short accounts. Like, as soon as you know you've done something you need to confess, just do it. Don't wait the longer we wait, the more opportunity we give that thing to grow in our hearts and gain control over our lives and spill into our lives and into our relationships with other people. So the, the minute you know you got something you need to deal with, just deal with it. Number two, understand that this is about respect. It, it really is. And, and in our lives, there are a number of different types of respect Two of them being public respect and self-respect. See, if I confess, I may lose public respect. If I, if I continue to try and hide this, I will always lose self-respect. And it's way more important to be able to look in the mirror and be okay with the person you see there than it is to be worried about somebody whose opinion you really don't care about and who you might not even like. And then finally, please know, the consequences of concealment always outweigh the consequences of confession. When we confess, it's going to cost us something. It's usually immediate. It's usually measurable. We usually know exactly what it is. When we conceal, it will cost us something. It's usually delayed. It's usually harder to put our fingers on, but I am telling you right now, it will always come, and it will always cost more in the end. The consequences of concealment will always weigh out those of confession. So, as we finish... I want to invite you just to bow your head. If you would, close your eyes to try and block 
the people out who are around you here, and just try and be a little bit introspective. Take a deep breath in. Let it all out. And just let me ask you, how's your heart? How's your heart today? Is there any guilt living inside of your heart? Are you angry? But deep down inside, it's you you're angry with. Are you anxious? Just afraid that what you've done is going to be found out. Are you critical? The people in your life wonder why in the world they can never do anything good enough for you. Is guilt living and growing in your heart? If it is, I want to pray for you. I want to invite you to pray with me. If this morning you, you know, like there's this lifetime of guilt that you need to bring to God in confession and find forgiveness for and begin a relationship with him and I, I want to pray with you. And if you have a relationship with Christ, but there's this guilt that is continuing to nag in the back of your mind and you need to commit yourself to living into both halves of this habit. I want to pray with you. And if like Tom, you find yourself thinking, do you have any idea what would happen if I lived into that commitment and I confessed that thing? I'd say to you, yeah. Your heart could be set free for the first time. Let's pray together. Father, today, some of us, we just, we want to come to you with our lives. We want to come to the foot of the cross where grace abounds and can be poured out into our lives to change who we are forever. We want to come to you and we want to confess our sin, that we are broken, that we have gone our own way, that we have robbed you of the right to be sovereign in our lives. We've robbed you of the, the obedience and the loyalty that you deserve. We confess this. Father, forgive us, please. In this moment, we want to put our hope and our faith in Jesus. In his life, his death, his resurrection, we want to surrender all of who we are to him. Father, for some of us, we want to bring this thing that we've talked to you about, maybe, but we need to have a second conversation about. This thing we need to confess to a person or we need to confess to a group of people. Father, we pray 
for courage, for grace, for strength from you, to have this conversation, to have it wisely. live out this habit completely and consistently in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Today, if, if you made some kind of uh, spiritual decision, we would love to know that on your connection card that Miss Alicia talked about earlier today. Um, you can indicate that on there. Uh, the number should be up on the screen. That is the easiest way. You can just text uh, hello to uh, 248-919-5007. Again, if we can be praying for you in any way, if you need information about something here at Faith, if you're newer, it's the best way to begin to get connected here. And if you're just dying to get a t-shirt like this or a coffee mug, uh, the way you are eligible to win one of those is to fill out your connection card as well. So we'd encourage you to do that.